We are, uh, we're doing a series on parenting uh, right now called Living Legacy, and so we're, we're talking through what does it look like for us uh, to be the kinds of people that help to reproduce faith in the lives of those that we've been given spiritual influence over. And so this is uh, going to be geared t- towards and for parents. That's kind of the lens by which we're thinking of this. But even if you're not a parent, there's good news for you because you've been called to be a spiritual influencer over someone. And so this has ramifications in the way that you live your life, regardless of whether or not you have kids of your own. And so um, I hope that you approach it from that perspective. Actually, if, if, if we weren't doing a series on parenting, this would have been tacked on to everyday essentials because we do believe it's part of the everyday essentials of what it means to follow Jesus, is us being able to reproduce our faith in the lives of other people. And so that's really what we're talking about, but we're specifically using an example of parenting to help us do that. And if, if you think that you might be parents someday, I would encourage you, don't just let this wash over you, but start studying now. Uh, I wish that I had done more work on that before I became a parent so that I feel maybe a little bit more equipped than what I feel right now. Describing that um, when it comes to parenting, like the closer that we got to a series on parenting, the less capable I felt as a parent. It was like my my ability, like as we're going along, seems to be going down and down and down. Um, So uh, that might be good news or bad news for you today if you're listening. Uh, If uh, it's good news because hopefully you're, you're, you know, I'm up here as somebody who can sympathize with where you're at, um, but I'm no expert. I'm hoping to grow to be one, but I'm a long ways off. So anyway, last week what we started out with was talking about who our children are uh, according to Psalm 127. And if you remember, what we said is that the psalmist says that children are a heritage from the Lord, which means they're an extension of us, which is to say that they... Uh, multiply the impact of our life beyond what we're able to do. They're a heritage. And they're also a blessing, which means they're, they're put into our, our lives, though we don't deserve them, as a way to show us God's grace and lead us back to our need for Him. And so those of you who are parents, you say yes and amen, because you have all kinds of opportunities where you get to the end of yourself and you go, I can't do this anymore. Somebody help me. And that somebody is supposed to be the one who created us and them and, uh, and to be our help in our time of need. This week, uh, instead of talking about who children are, we're going to talk about who parents are. So this should get interesting, right? So let me start out by asking a question then. What is the role of a parent? What is the, what's the job description of a parent? I mean, just think of like a couple words. A nurturer, good. <laughs> parents parent there's a bit of a, a loop there right a logical loop is that James okay sets boundaries and limits which is, hopefully is uh, an act of care and maybe not, not just an act of control or manipulation right you said by an example yeah to be an example to your kids right yeah to lead them to, to Jesus to, to show what he's like good yeah, to be sacrificial. That, that comes with the territory, right? If you think you're getting into the parenting game and you don't need to be sacrificial, you're in the wrong game. <laughs> you, you're not, you, you haven't signed up for the one you thought you did, right? Go ahead. 
Yeah, to, to be an example of what God is like, his character, right? Good. To prepare them. Yeah, we talked about that last week, right? To prepare and equip them to be adults, not just to keep them infants for the rest of their life and to pretend that they're always going to be fragile little, you know, ducklings in the world, that, you know, but to actually shoot them out as arrows, as Psalm 127 says. Yeah. Yeah, right. We're the, we're the senders in that sense, right? We are the commissioners. I don't know if you ever thought of it that. You, you as parents commission your kids for their role in the world. It's part of our job. But why do you do all... Oh, yeah, one more. Thank you. I was hoping somebody would say that. <laughs> Teaching our kids and their potential... Uh, love interests about the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? <laughs> this, yeah, right. God's jealous love for them. <laughs> and how dads are really good at displaying that sometimes. But why do you do all that? That's the question. What's kind of the, the, the role behind all those roles? Why do you provide for your kids? Why do you teach them? Why do you correct them? Why do you discipline them? Why do you provide an environment that's supposed to be safe and caring for them? That's the the real question. So we're going to start out to answer that question by looking at Deuteronomy 5. If uh, if you have a Bible or if you're going to, you can turn on your Bible. I heard somebody say that this week, which uh, is more appropriate than ever. So you can do that. Um, Or if you're going to use one of ours, it's page 125. But the context of Deuteronomy 5 is this, is that um, Moses is giving a new kind of uh, instruction to uh, Israel, who wasn't really Israel yet, but they were, they were moving to the promised land that God had promised to give them. And he's giving instructions of what God expects of them a second time. And it's interesting because he's, he's, the reason he's giving it a second time is because the first time He gave it, the people didn't listen and trust God and obey Him, but they trusted their eyes more what they could see than the God who said, I'm giving you this land. And so what God does is He actually waits them out for a generation. I don't know if you know this, it doesn't take 40 years to walk from Egypt to Israel. It doesn't. Not even in a humid year. Or a century as the case might be. It it doesn't take that long. So what was God doing? He was waiting out a generation that didn't put their trust in Him. And now He's giving His instructions to the next generation of people and saying, this is what it looks like to be My people. Uh, This is what it looks like to live in this land. So Deuteronomy 5, we're going to start in verse 6. This is how it begins. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before Me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands, my commandments. So he starts out by reminding them, this is the God who rescued you. You were slaves in Egypt, and He came in to rescue you, and He made you free. And so any other God that you would turn to has not done what this God has done for you. 
So don't serve or bow down to any other gods except for this one. This is your God, and to live in His land means to serve Him only. It's to give Him most honor. It's to give Him our very lives. And you think, well, that should be pretty easy, right? I mean, if you're one of these people in this group, I mean, just consider what God had done for them. I mean, He, he passed over their sin. He spared the firstborn children. He, he, he parted the, the Red Sea so that they could cross through on dry ground. He's shown Himself over and over again to be powerful and mighty. He's shown Himself to love them and to care for them and to be for them. They wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for this God. I mean, consider who this commandment is going to. The, these are the, the, the next generation of people which is full of the firstborn sons whose lives were spared at the Passover. They wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for God. So everything, just remember what He's done for you and don't put anyone else before Him. See, Moses starts here because he knows that every other command that God is about to give will be broken if they do not get this command. In other words, if they don't worship God, they won't want to do anything that He wants them to do. If they put their hope in any other God, they will let any other God tell them this is what life is all about. So it won't be God who directs them, but some kind of lesser God. See, Moses is saying, if we don't get this right, then the rest doesn't mean a thing because we got this one wrong. And then he says the implications of this issue over worship extend to hundreds if not thousands of generations after you. It will affect your kids. So what you do to lead your family to love and serve God will affect them more than anything else they could do. That's what he's saying. Now if you flip over a page and look at Deuteronomy 6, it says this. This is a really famous passage and we use this at baby dedication. So you'll hear this again next week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says this, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, make it unavoidable. What is it that we should make unavoidable? What is he saying to make unavoidable in our homes and the way that we talk and and even what surrounds us visually? He's saying that what should be surrounding us is the reminder that we should always love God with everything that we've got and teach our children to do exactly the same. Parents, what is your number one job description? What is your role? Your number one role is to be a worship leader. Why do you provide an environment for them to feel loved and cared for? Because you want, to, you want them to understand the love and the care that God has for them. Why do you teach them and discipline them? Because you want them to understand that the Lord teaches and disciplines us because He loves us and wants to lead us to life and to Him. Why do you set an example them because by your life you're communicating what God is like to them you're leading them 
in worship by the way that you live. It's to be a worship leader. How many of you consider yourself worship leaders? Yeah, probably should have our hands up, right? See, to worship is to love something with everything that you've got. And so what we're not talking about is like singing or playing guitar. Like, I don't even play an instrument. How can I be a worship leader? Uh, by the, this is a side note, but like when I came to faith, I moved into a house uh, full of Christians, and, and everyone played the guitar in the house except one guy, and he played the drums. <laughs> I thought it was like coming to faith in Jesus was like joining the Partridge family. Like everyone just plays something. <laughs> so oftentimes this idea of worship got wrapped up in the idea of music. And I think for many of us it still holds that kind of connection. Here's the thing. Music can lead us to worship, but it is not worship in and of itself. You can sing the loudest of anyone in the room, and yet in your heart you can be worshiping something other than the God you're singing about. Or you can be worshiping your guts out in your heart and be the softest singer. Works both ways. See, worship is to love something with everything that you've got. So when something captures your desires, directs your passions, and steers the purposes of your life, you are worshiping it. I'll say that again. When something captures your desires, directs your passions, and steers the purposes of your life, you are worshiping it. And so you know what you worship because it has the greatest influence over your emotions, thoughts, and actions. It's what your life rises and falls upon. It's what you base your identity upon. It's what you look to for security and approval and hope. In other words, it's the functional center of your existence. What does your life revolve around? See, the truth is that everyone is a worshiper because everyone worships all the time. Not just on Sunday mornings, or in case, if you're tradition, Wednesday evenings, or Sunday evenings. It's not just when you're singing songs. You are worshiping all the time. Every second, minute, hour, and day of your entire life, you are worshiping something or someone. You are giving value away to something. So how do I know that this is true? Because we were born to worship. We were born into it. You and I were created to build our life actually around the One who created us. We were made for Him. And so He was to be and is to be the functional center of our entire life. You think about an atom with a nucleus. He is to be the center and everything revolving around Him. And if it's not Him, then we will substitute something else for Him because you and I were made to worship something. We can't not do it. So whatever you worship is what has and is shaping you and informing everything about the way that you live. So if you and I worship security, then when things seem secure in terms of our bank accounts or our jobs or our kids or our family, then we will feel great. But when things don't seem so secure, we will feel like the functional center of our life has gone away and we will be a wreck as a result. We believe that success is our functional center, then we will do everything to gain success. And when we are hampered 
from the kind of success that the world tells us we should have, we will feel like we are a failure. If being liked or well-respected is the functional center of our existence, then we will do everything possible to get a good boy or a good girl out of the person whom we want their opinion to be well of us from. And if we don't get that kind of admonition from them, that kind of encouragement from them, then we will feel like a failure and a wreck. See, the reason that Moses starts here is because he knows that in order to be God's people, we must be God worshipers. In order to live the way that we should, we need to be shaped by Him and Him alone. In order to love our kids well and lead them in the way that we should, we need to experience the kind of leadership and grace and love that comes from our Heavenly Father so that we're leading them to Him and not just to ourselves. And so if we're looking to leadership or love or any other thing from some other source other than Him, then it will lead us to give a a kind of love and grace and, and experience and example to our kids that is not from Him. And this is not just you, mom and dad. This is your kids as well. They are born to worship. And here's the scary part. Like if you didn't think parenting was scary enough, (laughs) this is the sobering reality. They won't know who or what to worship apart from watching you. You are their worship leader, mom and dad. Now you think, okay, I've never heard that before. Or I've never considered that before. How would I even start to do that? Like, What does that look like? Well, if the number one role of a parent is worship leader, then the number one task of a parent is worship redirection. So so oftentimes I think we think that parenting is primarily about behavior modification. It's getting them to go from bad actions to good actions. But here's the problem. They can reproduce good actions and still have a bad heart. You can get your kids to obey all kinds of things for the wrong reasons and actually lead them into false worship and idolatry rather than the one true God. See, if we don't spend the majority of our time on worship redirection, then we will not get worshipers worshiping the right God. We will get false worshipers who know how to produce the right results to please you, mom and dad. And that's not what we're after, is it? That's not what I'm after as a parent. Romans 1 says, uh, says this. Paul is talking about kind of the, the nature of our worship and, and, uh, and how we go about doing that and how we often misdirect where our worship goes. And it's interesting what he says. He says that we all know that there's a God who exists, but because... We, none of us actually want to submit to that God. We suppress the truth and exchange it for a lie. And when we do that, we end up serving and worshiping created things rather than the Creator. And so think of Israel. This is the second generation that Moses is talking to, but think of their parents. He goes up to get the instructions from God. They, he had just finished saving them and bringing them to a place of safety and security where they could actually hear from the God who just saved them And what do they do? They take all that they plundered from Egypt and they melt it down and they form a golden calf and they go, 
This is the one who saved us. See, they're worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. They're worshiping the plunder of Egypt, Egypt rather than the plunderer. It wasn't their gold that saved them. It was the God who gave them that gold who saved them. See, all of us need worship redirection because all of us do this. Kids and parents alike. And you think, well, that sounds great. I mean, for those Israelites and for other people. But that's not me. Really? See, anytime we put our hope in either what we do or what's been done to us by another human being, we're doing it. Why? Because we're, we're ascribing more worth, more value, more of our identity to something either that we are able to do or have not done or what someone else is able to do or has not done. And so if you walk around life going, I'm not loved because I have not received love from another human being, you are by nature saying, I have exchanged the truth of God who is love and loved me even with his own son for a lie, which is, I am not loved. And Paul says that there's a progressive nature to this kind of worship. It, doesn't, it isn't just idle. It actually leads to something. And so when you exchange worship of God for something else, be it the, the opinions of other people, or be it success through our work, or a relationship, or even the, the, the building up of our own body, or our kids, no matter what we exchange it for, God is not okay with the fact that we've exchanged it. And so He does something in response. It's going to seem like what He does isn't very loving, but we'll talk about why it is. But this is what Paul says in, in Romans 1.24. Because of this, because of our propensity to exchange the worship of God for something else, God gives them over, gave them over to shameful lusts. See, that doesn't sound good, does it? doesn't, right? But what he's saying is, is that when we worship something other than Him, God always allows us to experience the fruit of it so that we'll understand that it will not give us what we hoped it would. That's what it means to turn us over, to hand us over to whatever that thing is. And in fact, here's the way that it works. The more that you go to it, the less you get satisfaction from it. It's like going to a saltwater well and you think, it's full of water. If I just keep drinking the water, I'm going to be satisfied. And yet, the more that you drink it, the more you realize you are dying from the inside out. That's the way that it works. And so we, we often, if we're trapped in this cycle, we'll say, why isn't this thing satisfying me the way that I thought it would? It used to. What's going on? I always seem to want more, and when I get more, it's never quite enough. And what's go- what is actually going on is that God is graciously allowing you to see that nothing is worthy of your worship except Him because absolutely nothing can satisfy the deep longings of your soul save Him. Which, parents, you need to know, this is actually the most gracious thing that God can do for you. To actually give you what you falsely worship so that you can see that what you're after really isn't that, but Him. What you need most isn't that, it's Him. See, I don't know about you, but as a parent, I often think this way. 
that I think it's my job, my chief job sometimes, to protect my kids from the effects of their false worship. Do you know what I mean by that? So it's, it's to save them from the effects of what their worship produces rather than actually allowing them to experience the effects of it and how God loves us even though we experience the effects of it. And so it's a little bit like, and I'm not saying you should do this, but how many times does it, tell, does it take to tell your kid not to touch the hot stove? A lot, right? Hundreds of times sometimes. How many times does it take them touching the hot stove? Just once. Just once. See, I'm, not, I'm using that as a partial example. I'm not telling you to go home and have your kids touch a hot stove. But here's the reality. Children will experience the effects of their false worship. They will worship their friends' opinions of them, and they will run to you crying that they have been left by their friend or that they are not giving them the respect or love that they need. They will come to you with all kinds of things and say, this is happening to me. And our first reaction so often as parents is to say, how can I stop it from happening? Right? I do that all the time. But here's the thing. That's not the way that God parents. God parents by allowing us to experience the effects enough so that we'll know that what we're after is not the thing that we're after, but it's Him. See, oftentimes we're concerned about protecting our kids from the effects of their false worship. And what God is primarily concerned about is protecting us from our idolatry. And He will actually use the effects to convince us that He's better. It's grace. But here's the thing. If we don't turn back to God at that point, then we will ultimately take the good things that God made and distort them in order to serve us and our need for worship. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it. He says this. It's kind of a long quote, but I think you, you need the context of it. He says, The woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses in the end not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog-keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief god loses not only his job, but his palate and all the power of enjoying the earlier. It is a glorious thing to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman. Glorious so long as other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her. But clear the decks and so arrange your life as it's sometimes feasible that you will have nothing to do but contemplate her and what happens. Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great or a partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. You see what he's saying? See, there are lots of things that God made for us to be enjoying them as secondary. 
He alone is meant to be first. But when we take second things and make them first, then we lose the second thing as a result. You only get to enjoy second things by enjoying and worshiping God as the very first thing. That's how God designed the world to work. He wants us to enjoy what He created, but only as an expression of our delight over Him, not as a replacement. Romans 1, Paul goes on to to talk about the effects of our uh, exchanging the worship of God for the worship of other things. And, And it's shocking, the results. Because we think it results in huge things, not just not in small things, right? But listen to the list he gives. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they so that they do what they ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. You think that sounds about right? But listen, it keeps going. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Okay, those are still big ones, right? They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and oh, by the way, what's it say? They disobey their parents. (laughs) Now, uh, don't go home and show your kids this verse. And go, (laughs) false worship leads to disobedience. Parents, do you know why your kids disobey you? It's not because they need behavior modification. It's because they're worshiping a false god. That's the truth. They're worshiping themselves and so are stacking the deck in the direction that everything in your home revolves around them. Or they are worshiping you and they are doing everything in their means to, possible to please you. Or they're worshiping their friends and they're giving away their identity to what their friends say about them, which then leads them to do all kinds of things in the home that you wish they ought not to do. So let me ask. I mean, let's just pause for a second and talk about this for a second. What kinds of things do we often experience as parents or kids misbehaving around? What sorts of behaviors and, and disobedience have, do we see? Now, generalize this because we're not talking about your kids. Just because <laughs> it's never our kids. Somebody else's kids. But what, what do we experience? Okay. Defiance, yeah. Yeah, just ignoring. Selective hearing. Self-righteousness, yeah. My way is better than your way. How many of you have your kids say that? Never, right? <laughs> How many of you have said that to your parents? Nobody. <laughs> a few bold people have like their hand up in the corner like, <laughs> I'll raise a pinky. <laughs> what else? Naming names. I love it. Throwing it down. (laughs) Yeah, so let's talk about that a second. What what might they... (laughs) 
<laughs> what might they be worshiping that is getting manifested in the way that they're behaving? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's uh, kind of the definition of that is, is me in spite of you, right? Which is, I mean, you want to define what it looks like to raise a child. It's leading them out of that, right? Because their whole life is me minus you. Me, uh, everything but you. Mine, not yours, right? Um and what they're worshiping because of that is themselves. My satisfaction over yours. Because if I'm not satisfied, then I will not be happy. If I'm not happy, then I cannot exist. It's, they're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping something else. Why do they defy you as a parent? Because you are not God. You are not my boss, right? You're not the boss of me. See, if we, if we don't ask the question, what are they worshiping, we're going to have a hard time actually leading them out of what they're experiencing. We can do it a whole host of different ways, but here's what I would submit to you. If we lead them out through behavior modification, they will not experience the fruit of the Spirit, which comes only through true worship. So you can get your kids to, to start sharing through guilt, but it will not lead them to peace. And they will not have joy when they do it. See, it's the worship issue. We want kids who are generous because they believe that they've been generously given. They want them to understand that they can give away their food to their, their brother and sister, even if they get less portion because they know that they'll keep receiving in their giving. But they won't believe that apart from believing that there is a God who continues to give and to bless them in their generosity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Here, here's the, um, I, I understand, I understand the fact that parenting is hard work, trust me, uh, and it's exhausting work, and oftentimes you get to the end of the day and you think, 
as long as they're in bed with all ten fingers and toes and arms and limbs and no one has too many black and blue marks and they stay in the bed and they don't come out, you know, to say I want... (laughs) Then we've done our job. Um, But here's what I've been learning about parenting is that it's the sum total of our investment, not the... So in other words, we, we don't get... Uh, judged by our parenting uh, on a single day. Many days are exhausting. And many times as a parent, you want nothing more than just for them to behave. I get that. But over the stretch of our influence of them, when we look back at everything, we should be able to say, you know, I was growing in my ability over time to lead them in true worship rather than just good behavior. There will be days, mom and dad, when you don't want to do it, and, and that's okay. But you've been given a resource to parent that I think you might be disregarding if all you're doing is saying, I'm exhausted in parenting, I can't do any better. You've actually been given the resource of God to do parenting by the best parent who ever was. So you, the question I would ask then, if you're feeling exhausted, is whose energy are you relying on? As we talked about last week, we, we should, as, as Paul says, I worked harder than any, anyone when it came to the mission of God. Parents, it's hard work. It is. And we should give it our best and our all every single day. But Paul says, I don't just work with my resources. I work with all the strength that God put in me by His Spirit to do the things that He called me to do. I was thinking about it this way. I was going to use this a little bit later, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it forward a little bit. I was, I was on the backyard with, uh, or back deck with Ethan. I was grilling, and he was playing on one of the benches, and there were all these leaves lined up on the bench. And um, he's 19 months old. He's given it his all, and he's trying so hard to blow the leaves off. The, the, the strip of wood is only this wide, you know? And so... He, you know, and it's, it'd like move a little bit, and you go to the next one, and it moves a little bit. How, oftentimes that's what parenting feels right, right? Just like giving it your all, you're completely exhausted, you're huffing and puffing, and you have nothing left to give, and the leaf just turns over once. <laughs> or none at all. Or it turns over once and then flips back again. You're like, no! I thought we had progress here. So I watch, I'm watching him do this, and I come up behind him, and I, I, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? And he, you know, he, he keeps doing it. And so he gets to one leaf, and he's, you know, he's down. He's like getting ready to give this really big breath. And then from behind, as soon as he blows, I go, and all of the leaves scatter. And he goes, <laughs> and he starts like dancing around. And I'm watching him do that, and, and in the moment, actually, I think the Spirit of God reminds me, he goes, that's what happens when you ask me to help. You get to see your effort go well beyond what you're ever capable of doing, and you get the joy of watching me work in you and through you. I, parents, I think we need that. I think we need that desperately. Don't we? I mean, you want to know that there's a God in you and behind you, giving his breath to your breath so that it actually makes a difference. Don't you? I want that. 
And uh, later on, I got to tell Caleb about that. And he's like, really? You know, he was so excited about that. I said, yeah, that, and that, that's, that's what happens in our home when Jesus is part of it. See, I'm leading him to worship. I'm not just talking about a story with Ethan and Dad's ability to, to you know, to blow leaves around the deck. I'm using that as a, as a way to communicate to my older son, who wasn't even there, about God's ability to breathe life into our family, even when we're exhausted. I don't even know where I was. That's good. Parents, though, I would encourage you, even in your exhaustion, even if you, and even if you can't form the answer to the question, it's important to pray the question. Okay? So even if you don't fully know the answer to this question, that's okay. But even if you can pray the question to God and be okay that He will give you the answer over time, I think that's a step in the right direction. And here's the question. As my kids are showing me the fruit of their lives, what are they worshiping right now? What are they worshiping right now? Um, the other day, Caleb came home, and he's, you know, he's just bawling his eyes out. He was over at his friend's house, uh, who lives you know, a couple doors down, and he comes back, and he's just a wreck. I mean, like, just tears everywhere. I'm like, what's going on? And, uh, and he goes... He starts to tell us that um, I I'd put, he was going over to give him something coming right back, and, and so we just put uh, flip-flops on him and then sent him over, and I didn't realize that the flip-flops that I put on them were ones that his friend used to own and his mom gave them to us because his friend grew out of them and Caleb could use them. And so he goes over to tell his friend something or give him something, and, uh, and he's, he comes back and he's a wreck. He's so upset. He wants his shoes back. Like, he says they're not mine. And I'm watching my son do this. And Mandy and I are like scratching our heads like, what do we do in this situation, you know? And we go, well, what's the truth? What's the truth in this? And he goes, they're mine. (laughs) You know, he's just so upset about it. And and they said, yeah. like, And so we reminded him of the truth. And we said, well, why, if, if you know the truth, why are you so upset? Because he said, I'm not invited to his birthday party. And I'm thinking in my head, like, his birthday's in February. <laughs> Which, I will say this, false worship always looks ridiculous from the outside looking in. Doesn't it? You're like, a golden calf, Really? And so I'm thinking that in my mind, like, this doesn't even make sense why you're so upset. Um, and so, uh, so we talked about it, and, and I said, do you, do you know what worship is? No. It's when you love something more than anything else. I said, it seems like right now you're worshiping his opinion of you. Do you whose opinion of you matters most? Who knows you better than anyone and... and says you're okay and knows the truth about who you are and loves you anyway. Jesus does. That's right, he does. He knows more than anyone. And he's okay with everything. And, and, and he, he knows what's going on. And, and so you don't, have to, 
you know, manipulate your friend's opinion of you. you. You don't have to even worry about it. You can just rest in the fact that you know that there is someone who created you that loves you and is okay with you. And, um, and he thought about it for a while, and, and uh, at, after a little bit, he, um, he, we got, actually got two pairs of sandals, or, or flip-flops, and he goes, I want to go and bring the other ones over. And so he, he took the other pair, and he goes back over to his house, and, and by that point, he was, like, getting ready for bed, because his friends are wrecked, too. He had a long day, and he was tired. And, you know, he's, he's going to bed. And, um, and he gives them the, the flip-flops and then comes back, and Mandy and I, were, like, we talked to, to him about it. We were talking afterwards. We're like, we're not quite sure if, if he went back over because he was trying to redeem his image of himself in his friend's eyes or if it was true concern for his friend because he knew his friend was upset and he wanted him to have something as a, as a show of generosity. I think it was the latter. But I just want to let you know... We're, and this is often true in parenting, we're never quite sure, are we? We're never quite sure of our kids, what's actually happening in their hearts. And, and this is what I want to encourage you with, that even though you may not, the Lord does. He does. And he, and he will use your efforts to redirect worship. But, parents, you've got to know this, it's not a one-time conversation. It's not like the worship talk. Okay, good. I'm glad we had that one. On to other things. No, everything is worship redirection. And so it happens in hundreds of conversations over the course of their life. That's, which should be an encouragement to us because there will be days when we don't want to have that conversation. And the great thing about God is that He gives us chances over and over and over and over again. See, our kids must know that it's their worship that's leading to their behavior. They have to. So how do you do that? One of the things I would say, in terms of the place to start, uh, is that you can't lead anyone in worship if you're not a worshiper first. This, uh, so I would tell you the same thing that I would say to our worship team who leads with guitars and singing, that if you're not before the throne of the God of grace, then there's no way you're leading other people before the throne of the God of grace. It doesn't matter how good your guitar playing is or your singing is. There must be people that enter into worship to lead others to worship. And so step number one, mom and dads, is this. Start by being lead worshipers. It's a, a great quote by John Piper. He says this in his book on parenting. 99% of the behavior that influences your children is unpremeditated. Wow. I'd like to think it's a little bit less than that. But it makes the point. The startling truth is, if you want your children to be happy in the true God, you should make it your life's passion to be happy in the true God. They don't tend to imitate what they see makes us miserable or bored. They tend to imitate what makes us happy. If God is not seen to be our true satisfaction, it's unlikely that 18 years of church going will make them think that God is worth much. See, the implication is that we should devote most of our energies, parents, 
into becoming a certain kind of person instead of mastering a certain kind of strategy for parenting. Kids need worshiping parents above parents with great techniques because you're showing the God that you worship every day. And so the question I would ask you then is this, how's your worship going these days? And I don't just mean singing. And I don't just mean uh, praying or reading your Bible. I mean, are you finding your ultimate joy in Him or in something else? Are you captivated by His mercy for you? Are you... Do you wonder at the love expressed to you through the cross? Are you taken back by the fact that He died and rose again for you and fills you with His Spirit to live a new life? Have you been asking Him to shower you with the knowledge of His deep, deep care and compassion for you? Have you been praying, God, show me how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ from which I cannot be separated from. Show me that again. Reveal that to me again. I need to see it and experience it anew. And the truth is, God loves to answer that prayer. He loves to. What conclusion would others come to about who or what you worship as they study your life? That's a a question that all of us can consider because it's true of non-parents too. Because we're always showing people what we worship every day. Do we worship our homes and make those the primary place of our security? Do we worship our job as being the primary indicator of our success? Do we worship our entertainment because we give ourselves away to television and all kinds of other media sources over and over again showing that that's the primary way that we get satisfaction in the world. See, none of those things are bad. They're secondary, though. If we put them first, we actually lose the ability to use them as second things. And we lose the ability to lead our kids to the first thing. So are we lead worshipers, mom and dads? And second... Well, let me say this. As lead worshipers, here's what we can do. We can create a home and a life that's full of awe towards God. What if every day in your home was a day that was ripe with the possibility of discovering a new aspect of God's glory? I was having a conversation with Caleb even this morning. And uh, I was getting ready to go. And um, and uh, I said I had to go to the building to, to pray and to... Uh, to get ready to to talk to our church family. And out of the blue, he goes, does Jesus talk? Because I said something about talking with Jesus. I said, yeah, he talks. Well, how do you know what he says? I said, well, how do you know what Daddy says? I listen. That's exactly right. He said, do you know that Jesus loves to lead us and talk to us? I said, in fact, when, when daddy's being a really good daddy, when I'm like, you know, really loving and really caring and really generous and full of joy, do you know who's doing all that? I said, that's all Jesus doing it in me, buddy. It's, you're seeing Jesus in me because when I'm doing those things, I'm actually listening and, and, to him and, and getting my directions from him. Just like, you know, life tends to go a little bit better when you listen to mommy and daddy, Right? 
Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way it works. I said, it's daddy's job to teach you how to listen to him. So I'm going to make it my goal. I'm going to try really hard with all his effort to help you to know what it looks like to listen to him. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing that Jesus loves us that much, that he wants to talk to us and lead us? Yeah, that is pretty cool. See, every day is a new opportunity to lead us to discovering new things about who God is and what he's like and what he's done for us. And then the last thing I would say is to remind you that you will not always be a great example of a lead worshiper to your family. You think, well, no kidding, right? (laughs) But that's true for me. And because it's true, this is what I'm also calling you to do. Not just to be lead worshipers in front of your family, but be lead repenters in front of your family. To repent just means to change your mind about who or what is God. And parents, if your kids never see you turn from false worship to true worship, then they will never know that they should do the same. But you have to be just as honest about the ways that you worship falsely as you do with the ways that you want to lead them into true worship. And there's good news for us in that because we know that God doesn't oppose those who, who are humble and come to Him in our time of need. He gives grace to us. And the best way that we can be humble, moms and dads, parents, even non-parents, is to demonstrate our need for Him again. To, to be open and honest about the ways that we've messed up again. And to say, you know what? The one who is going to save me and lead me forward. The one who's going to do it better next time is not me. I'm not going to say, well, I messed up, but I'll do it better next time. No, because you won't. What we need to say is, I screwed up again. I messed up again. And I need the forgiveness of the one who can do it better in me the next time. I need him to be the leader. And here's the truth. Jesus loves to come and to lead us when we're humble. And that means that we don't have to hide our humility. We don't have to be better than we really are. And hopefully that's a load off of your shoulders. You go, you know what? I can just be a follower of Jesus that messes up. And when I do mess up, I get the grace of Jesus to cover it. That's one of the reasons that we respond every week by coming to the tables again. It's because it's our acknowledgement that we are in a place of need. The only thing that disqualifies you from coming forward to the tables is you saying, I do not need what I'm about to receive. We come forward and we go, you know what, I, I need again the grace of God in Christ. His blood shed for me to forgive me of all the ways that I don't parent my kids the way that I should. And you need to know again that it was shed for you to forgive you of that. You just need to be reminded of it, which is why we take it in again every week. And you need to turn from your own self-effort over your parenting or the ways that you've lacked to do it and come to Him and go, it's Jesus' body broken for me that gives me the new power that I need to parent the way that I should. And so I'm trusting in you instead of me. So we're going to come forward and do that. I just want to encourage you 
to come and to experience that again if it's been a while since you have. Let's pray.